grief is a terrifying subject for us as dads. And frankly, as men and humans, we don't know what to do with it when it happens to us or someone we know. And we definitely don't seem to find purpose in it. If you're dealing with grief or know someone who is, my guest is here to help. So please don't go anywhere. Welcome to the Fatherhood Challenge, a movement to awaken and inspire fathers everywhere to take great pride in their role and to challenge society to understand how important fathers are to the stability and culture of their family's environment. Now, here's your host, Jonathan Guerrero. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest is Brian Gallant. Brian is the author of Undeniable an epic journey through pain. Brian is here to share his story and journey through grief from losing two of his children in a horrible accident. He will also talk with us about how we deal with our pain, finding purpose and spirituality through the loss. Brian, thank you so much for being on the Fatherhood Challenge. Thank you for letting me be here. Well, given the topic, I think it's probably appropriate to start off with a dad joke. So Brian, what is your favorite dad joke? Well, I asked my children that and they came up with this one. Uh, you know, if it's it's one they remember, then it's got to be a good one. So a uh, little girl comes home from school one day and she says, dad, dad, I'm cold. He looks at her without even breaking a thought and he looks and he says, well, go stand in the corner. She <laughs> stares at him. Why would that help? He says, it's 90 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> so not only is that a dad joke but i'm also a math guy so <laughs> oh even more appropriate <laughs> <laughs> well brian you have a story that i would describe as any dad's worst nightmare except it wasn't the dream it was very very real what is your story i've written a book so it's a lot longer than what we can do in this time here but uh, my wife and i we were uh, struggling in our marriage, we'd been married about five years and had two beautiful children, and I was preaching and teaching all over the state of Wisconsin and sometimes other places. And uh, one particular weekend, going to speak at a church, after doing all that and locking our precious children into their car seats and praying the prayer of protection, we began driving home. and. Between that church and our house, every single thing in our life was destroyed. Um, we don't exactly know what happened or what precipitated it, but at some point at 55 miles an hour, our vehicle lost control and went off the road, rolling three or four times. And this was before airbags, at least in our vehicle. And in just a few very short, tumultuous moments, our world was destroyed. Later found out that my wife wasn't dead, but when I looked across and saw her in the car, I thought she was. Uh, my, my door was jammed. I wasn't physically hurt. I literally pivoted uh, with my ankle and my head. Uh, you know how there's that post between the front and back door of the cars. I hit that with my head and my ankle pivoted in the front and I was on the inside roll of the of the vehicle, the first one where all the major damage would have happened. And so I wasn't hurt, but then I had to I had to see everything because I was still conscious. And that's where my everything was destroyed. My nightmare began. Um 
I saw my wife, like I mentioned, I thought she was dead, blood and vomit. Then I turned to the back to see where my children were. And to my unspeakable horror, I saw my little girl, Abigail, ten and a half months, hanging out the back window by the neck restraint that had failed on the car seat. And that, I, I, I don't know what happened. The next 15 seconds, all I have is this indescribable, unspeakable horror to get there in time to save her, because that's what daddies do. I don't know how I got out of the car. The door was jammed. I don't know if I went through the window. I don't know if I ripped it off its hinge. You don't know. They say parents do crazy stuff with the adrenaline. Who knows? I don't, I don't remember anything. Just that horror. When I finally got to her side and took her out of that strap, she was completely limp. And uh, then I looked to see where my son was, Caleb, three and a half years old, but he was not in the vehicle. And so I then, holding her in my hands, went searching for him. I finally found him about 100 feet away in the grass, not moving. And uh, I laid her down by his side. I gave him a kiss. I looked back at the car which was destroyed and and I remember just in complete shock just numbly turning in circles and yelling out to God where are you and so that began our our journey into that darkness um, praise God my wife did not die she was med flighted uh, there's all kinds of miracles that have happened but of course we couldn't see that for a long time as we went into that dark place called grief but I was completely useless as a father. I could do nothing to help my children. In fact, I remember yelling and screaming at the emergency professionals as they came, and they focused on me as the others were trying to take the roof off the car and so forth. As they strapped me onto the backboard, as they lifted me up to take me away, they tilted just enough that I was able to see a sweater over my daughter's face and a suit coat over my son's. And I yelled and I said, leave me alone, take care of my kids. But their focus at that moment was for the living. And they took me away. It, um, it sent us into a very, very dark place. Where was God when your car accident happened and and also, where was God when you were grieving? And the Bible talks about how he makes darkness his pavilion. But we don't always know that. And part of the grief is the being broken and being alone. It's devastating. And so for a while, we didn't know where he was, uh, except for the fact that he was there with people. When I got to the emergency room where my wife was, flown to. There were 25 people there to surround me, to support me. There was a one person who said, I will stay with you so you don't have to be alone. There were people that took care and, and love and, and kindness, and that's where we saw the hands and the feet of God. Also, we found out later uh, that the very first car on the scene that was following behind us and witnessed whatever happened. 
in that car was a critical care nurse on her way, more than an hour away, to the exact hospital that my wife was med flighted to. And so she was on the scene immediately stabilizing my wife's neck and head, waiting for the um, emergency personnel to come. Uh, miraculous. Uh, in fact, she was so moved by that situation and fully expected my wife to die that she she didn't go to work that day and even miss the next one. And when she did come a few days later and met my wife, it was just uh, a, a moment of worship and gratitude that God would have orchestrated that. So in the in the darkness, we we didn't always know where he was. I, I really believe for me, and I've described this in a number of different ways, but up to that point, I had, in a sense, put God in a box. And, um, you know, God was who I, I studied, what I knew about, my theology. I would go look for people, you know, listen to them long enough to tell where they're wrong, and then I would fix them or attempt to and see how well that went. Um, you know, God was what I could explain. And on that day, my box was destroyed. I cannot contain God. He can fill me, but I don't contain him. And in the months that followed, in the darkness and the pain and the, and the devastation, as he then began to rebuild us and we came to know him as a God of love, deep abiding, passionate love, not, not a God that I do things for or that my relationship was based on what I did, but a God who was drawing us to himself. You know, that incredible verse in Jeremiah, Behold, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I draw you. He did that in the darkness, and he began to rebuild us as we learned what love is. And uh, so now he's filled us with his grace and his mercy, his presence. He's held us through the darkest possible place, they say, and he's proven to us that he's faithful. And so now I don't contain him. He fills me, and it's just a joy to see whatever he's doing all around me every day. What does it mean for us to deal with our grief? And what happens if we keep ignoring it and pushing it away? How can ignoring our grief impact our families? Nobody wants to go through the grief process. It's, it's brutal. Uh, it, it just knocks you down and transforms our lives. But it doesn't go away. And we were fortunate uh, to, to have a a pastor who had realized that uh, just the week in and week out messages here and there were not transforming people's lives. And he became a counselor and he walked with us through the grief process. And it was an incredible gift, you know, to where he could meet with us individually and help me work through the anger, you know, the you know, where, where's God? I was doing everything right, you know, by whatever your list is for what Christians are supposed to be. I was ticking them all off uh, and I, I'd done everything we're supposed to be doing. And then my kids die after preaching. I mean, what, what more do you want, God? So, I mean, anger was a, was a horrible place for me. Uh, and he helped us work through that, that God's big enough to handle that anger. Um, the denial, we didn't struggle as much with, um, Penny had to fight to survive. Um, you know, she had incredible brain trauma, 
both of her lungs were collapsed, her shoulder blade was broken, and in the process of it, it breaking, it tore out some of the nerves from her spinal column, so she's paralyzed in the left hand still to this day. Um, so there wasn't much for, you know, denial wasn't as big of a thing, but, but anger for us, um, the bargaining, the stage that Kubler-Ross describes where you're making deals to, to go forward. It's horrible. You know, like, okay, God, I'll, I'll get out of bed. I'll function today, but you better send Jesus soon. Um, all those kind of things. It was a very painful time. Um, the depression, yikes, you know, depression that doesn't ever seem to end. No reason to get up. I remember we had some good friends who just quietly came one time to our, our home, just gently boxed up all the children's toys and things so we wouldn't have to see them all the time. And um, you know, just put them into a safe place so that we could begin to, to go forward. Uh, there would be triggers that could happen, you know, months down the road that would just send us into another depression. No purpose, and the darkness is just absolutely horrendous. So anger, bargaining, depression, denial. And then eventually, <laughs> a long time coming, eventually if you go through that process, and I think that's the point of your question here, if we don't deal with our grief, it 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 does not go away. And I, I've seen so many people that get locked in a stage or two. And, and the thing that people don't understand is grief is not linear. It's not like I finished the anger stage, like, okay, now what's next? No, it's it, it cycles back and forth. And many people get high-centered, I, the way I kind of describe it, they get high-centered in one of one of those stages. And they, they learn to function, but they never become who they are were before and who they could be if they were to work through the grief. I'm I'm perf- I'm completely convinced that God's process as we go through grieving in a healthy way is to transform us through the pain. Not always keeping us from it, but taking it taking us through it because then that transforms our lives so that we can then come alongside others who are also hurting like that. I think one of the things that has been the most helpful to me uh, when I lost my mother uh, that really tore my world up in unimaginable ways. And one of the things that has really helped me heal is finding that purpose in, in the grief and in the whole experience itself. I experience that the most when I'm able to come along somebody, somebody else that is in the same throes of grief and to be able to just sit with them through that and share a mutual common experience of that grief and be able to just sometimes just be there. Sometimes it's just helping them step by step. Um, it's a lot of listening, but in those moments I begin to find purpose in my own experience and it becomes a, ve- a very healing process. Please yeah. share some stories of how you <clears throat> have helped other grieving families through your experience. Yeah, it's just as you're describing there, Jonathan, the the uh, the experience of empathy, the fact that you have gone through the pain, you recognize it in others. What we have noticed through the years is you become 
because you've been wounded so deeply is that you then recognize that same pain and brokenness in others. Uh, it's almost like uh, the, the veil is pulled away. And, and so whereas other people may see a person that is on edge uh, in your face or whatever, we simply see, wow, they're hurting. They're broken. And so being able to come alongside and to share with them. I remember one particular time we were, I was actually sharing our story in a sermon in a church. This was months, probably more than a year after uh, our car accident. And after the service, people were coming by and saying thank you and so forth and whatever they say. And I saw this lady coming that just looked angry. Just her face was just almost shriveled up with, with anger. And before she got to me, I kind of pulled the elder aside and I said, who is that? And he looked real quickly in this knowing glance and just kind of said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's so-and-so. She just lost her husband. And then I, I knew. I knew why she was angry. I mean, what I had shared, the testimony of, of God turning things for good and all those wonderful things in the midst of the pain, she wasn't there. And, and she was mad. And so the moment she came up to me, I simply opened up my body in a sense, my, my arms in a sense, opened up my body language. And I, I said to her, I heard you just lost your husband. I'm so sorry. And she just melted and fell into my arms. She's an older woman. And I just held her and she, she cried, wept. And, you know, of course, the, the line of people kind of went around and detoured and so forth. And I just held her for even 15 or 20 seconds as she cried. And then remembering the things that we've gone through, remembering the, the, the acts of love and kindness and um, realizing how beautiful it is to hear the name of the person that you've lost. Because what ends up happening is, is so oftentimes when people are grieving, um, the friends or otherwise they're like, well, we don't want to say their, their kids' names because that'll just hurt them. Well, hello, we're hurting. <laughs> There's nothing you're going to do to change that particular part. We're hurting regardless, but don't mm -hmm. steal the memories away from us. You know, it's not like we didn't have children. We did. You know, we love them. We can't hold them right now and we're devastating. We wake up in the middle of the night crying out, you know, because they're frozen and cold, buried in Michigan and, or what, you know, all these horrible things. But, but we're, don't, steal the memories say their name you know you know what would they be doing now yeah we're gonna cry yes we're gonna hurt but that's okay it's normal and so knowing that i i said to her what what was your husband's name and she picked her head off my shoulder she smiled as she was going into those memories and she shared with me his mm. name i said what did you guys like to do together and oh she went to a beautiful place for just a little bit and then I messed up <laughs> because my testimony was talking in a sense, trying to call churches to be loving and kind and to serve. And like our little church had done around the Wisconsin Academy Church, they had just rallied around us. And so I'd given specific examples. And so I then asked her, has your church loved you the way ours loved us? Oh, and wow. that angry, venomous face came back. <laughs> and she almost spit the words out. She said, no. They treated me a little different for a couple of weeks, like I had the flu, but then everyone forgot. And it was just so tragic. Her pain, 
She needed more of that love. But being able to recognize that. And so before before we left that area, I talked with the elders of the church and I said, hey guys, there needs to be some tangible love and support here. Because when you're broken, you can't see God like you used to. You need to feel him and experience him through loving people. We literally need to become the hands and the feet and the hugs and the care. As one author says, we need to see God with skin on it. So I encourage that church to, to reach out and love. Well, I'd like to get into some specifics. I mean, sometimes helping people who are grieving can be out of our comfort zone, to say the very least, if we aren't really accustomed to it. What is the best way to help someone we know who's grieving? A lot of it would be to, to be present with them and to, to ask, you know, to give them a chance to share. Like I mentioned, even, even saying the name, asking for memories listen as they share. Uh, don't try to fix anything. You, you can't fix it. Um, and try to avoid those wonderful little platitudes. Uh, you know, those, oh, it's going to be okay, blah, blah. It's not. It's, it's a dark, horrendous place. And time in and of itself is not what heals necessarily, but time does alleviate some of the things. So being a friend that walks deeply with them and uh, you just kind of have to disengage your need to fix things. Um, you know, Bible says weep with those who are weeping, uh, laugh with those who are laughing. Just be truly present. Be a friend who's there and willing to sit with them in that, in that pain. Wonderful acts of kindness are always appreciated. <sighs> There was a lady in our church that every single holiday, she would send us a card and say, I know you're hurting today. Even when we moved overseas, she was more faithful than family. <laughs> um, it was incredible. Just that, that conscious love as she was there. Sometimes even giving permission. Uh, we had some of our closest friends who had children the same age as ours. They came to us after the accident, about, about a month after the accident, and they said, you know, Brian and Penny, we love you. There's nothing that you can do that will change that. We love you. But we know that probably every time you see us and our family, it tears you to pieces. And so we want you to know it's okay if you need to stay away from us for a while. And I remember thinking, oh, no, no, you're fine. You know, and I was all my bravado. I said, it'll be okay. But they were right. Every time we'd see their kids, our brains would just get torn up and we'd be like, what would ours be doing? And, and, and so we'd naturally just pulled away from them, but they had lovingly shared that with us. They had held some good boundaries. They had let us know that they cared for us. And it was incredible. And God worked things out and we were able to come back that we ended up being next door neighbors after God had given us two beautiful children after that. And um, he worked things out just miraculous ways. So just being present with people. What are some of the common signs someone is grieving that are often interpreted as something else? Hurt people, hurt people, anger. You know, the reality is we live in a world that denies, medicates, runs from pain. And so it shows up in other ways. So for me, I, I pretty much... When, when somebody's hurting someone else, when I was short-tempered, all those different evidences of being broken, it's because there's an unresolved pain. 
or loss in their life. So there's all kinds of signs. Yeah, hurt people hurt people. The same is true that loved people love people. And forgiven people forgive people. Brian, how can dads connect with you to get help with their grief or find out what you're doing? Yeah, well, I did. I wrote our book like you already mentioned. Um, so that's available on Amazon and Audible. I actually read the book as well. That was an experience also. And on Kindle, uh, they can, of course, reach out to you or to me, email and so forth. I'm currently serving in the Iowa, Missouri conference and uh, loving people with some country churches. I'd be thrilled to connect with people and walk with them. I've done a number of different programs and longer ones than this where kind of walking through these situations and more stories. But I'd be thrilled to connect with them. Also, if you go to thefatherhoodchallenge.com, that's thefatherhoodchallenge.com, and you go to this episode, look below the episode description. I'll also have the links right there where you can, um, where you can go directly and, and find the book. Um, and you can order the book or, um, you can download the book for Kindle. So I, I will provide the link there. So Brian, as we close, what is your challenge to dads listening now? I would challenge dads to never take a moment for granted. And to love deeply. If you feel led to give a gift, give it. Um, be irrational in gift giving and loving and spending time sitting there. Just truly look into the eyes of your spouse, your children. Be present. Put that phone down. Disconnect your brain from all these other things. And love deeply and love well. Um, don't put those things off. You never know how quickly it all can change. And um, you know, God has blessed us now with four more children in the aftermath. And it for us, it's just a gift each and every day is a gift to be able to love and to connect and to be present with people. So please, fathers out there, choose to be true men where you're loving deeply and walking alongside your spouse your children, your relationships. Be present, be real, and be blessed. That has been a powerful way to, to wrap up this discussion. I read Undeniable cover to cover, and I found it very, very helpful through my own personal challenges uh, with grief that uh, that I've gone through and, and in some cases still going through. Um, and it's been very a very useful resource for me to help others going through the same process. So I would definitely say read undeniable cover to cover. Uh, it will challenge you and it will also guide you along the way through this process of how you deal with grief or how you can help others with the same process. Ryan, thank you so much for being on the fatherhood challenge. It's been an absolute honor to have you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity and the privilege. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fatherhood Challenge. If you would like to contact us, listen to other episodes, find any resource mentioned in this program, or find out more information about the Fatherhood Challenge, please visit thefatherhoodchallenge.com. That's thefatherhoodchallenge.com.